0: Coming up on This Week in Radio Tech, Tom Morris is our guest. He's a television engineer with radio experience, and he's here to talk about when things get complicated with bringing in somebody else to fix a system, a complicated system, how you might want to trust but verify what they've done because they may leave more problems than they've solved. That's coming up next on TWERKED. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Broadcaster's General Store, with outstanding service, savings, and support, online at bgs.cc. By Broadcast Bionics, with the Bionics Studio, including talk show control, social media, and visual radio, Broadcast Bionics brings exceptional audience engagement to radio and TV. By Angry Audio, audio problems disappear when you get angry at angryaudio.com. By Nautel, worry-free transmission you can count on with outstanding control, reliability, efficiencies, and Nautel's unmatched 24-7 customer support. Online at Nautel.com. And by MaxConnect Wireless, prioritized high-speed internet service designed for transmitter sites and remote broadcasts. Hey, welcome into to This Week in Radio Tech. It's the show where we talk about everything from this microphone to that light bulb at the top of the tower. I'm Kirk Harnack, your host here in the Telos Alliance studio in Nashville, Tennessee. And delighted to be here on this first day of February. Uh, tomorrow's Groundhog Day. We'll, see, we'll have to see what happens and uh, see if we get, uh, what, what's the meme going around? Uh, two more weeks of Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. Uh, but Chris Chris Tarr is here. He's a, He's a football fan, aren't you? Hi, Chris. I am.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I'm a football fan. Uh, I'm a Taylor Swift fan, and uh, rumor has it if the is it, if the groundhog sees its shadow, it's four more weeks of winter or a month. Uh, if it doesn't, I think is how that works. Anyway, I six weeks, uh, but welcome. I don't, I don't know <laughs> six weeks and a month and a half. Either one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm here in the uh, in the Chris Tar Alliance Studio. Here in beautiful McGowanago, Wisconsin, where it's actually gotten nice after, I mean, the, I think in, in January was the, one of the coldest Januarys on record. Today, the sun is shining. It's 45 degrees. And uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice little break from the uh, gray skies and the snow and the cold
0: we've had, you know, the past few weeks. Yeah, indeed. It's it's warmer here. It it still can't shake the chill off. It started this morning out at about 29 30 degrees or so. So it it started out cold today. Um you know, the, I, all I know is the natural gas meter is still going Whoo! every once in a while when oh, the furnace comes on. So me, we, yeah. We got our we got our first bill for the for this this past month.
1: <sighs> oh no. Yeah, it was and? it's yeah, it's crazy dumb. It's uh, like 300 bucks.
0: Something like that. Oh wow, which is insane. Wow, yeah, it's insane. Mine, mine was about two hundred, but uh, wow. Mm. Um, well, Chris and I are here, and our scheduled guest this week is Tom Morris. I talked to Tom a little while ago, anticipating his arrival. Um, if I hope he does, because Tom's got the best stories. If you follow Tom Morris on Facebook, uh, you can uh, really appreciate Tom's interesting perspective, and he often has a pretty positive, jolly outlook, even when things go disastrously wrong, even when people really screw things up and he has to fix them. Uh, I, I'd, I'd love to have Tom's attitude myself. I'd love to be able to keep that because he approaches uh, problems as, hey, you know what? There's just another ridiculous problem to be solved. And here I am and I'll solve it. <laughs> and he typically does. So that's what we're uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, if, if just in case Tom doesn't arrive, Chris and I have a number of things to to chat about uh, on today's show that will uh, kind of lead along the same lines as, as Tom. So, uh, hey, Chris, why don't you give your uh, outlook and and, uh, a preview of what we're going to hear from you on today's show?
1: Well, I'm going to have a story about, uh, this is actually a project that I just, kind of still wrapping up, but but we got through it here. Uh, We had a radio station off for almost a week, and we'll just say that the symptoms were something I'd never seen before. So that is going to be one of the things I'm going to talk about today.
0: I had uh, I had one of those this morning. Uh so that that's coming up. I've got an, uh you know a, an interest, you know, it's one of these fixes I'll, I'll preview this. It was a a telephony problem on the morning show on our new uh Alt Rock station in Oxford, Mississippi. And it's a little thing that it crossed my mind a month ago. You know Kirk, you you should you should fix you should change this so it has less chance of going wrong. And I thought, nah, it's worked for 6 months. It's fine, and it's supposed, and it's, and I'll describe it when we talk about our solving problems. Um, but it may encourage you to think about how you how you handle things. Although, in the the, the fix could result in a problem itself. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what what was, bit me in the was butt there this a narrator at seven o'clock?
1: I was going to say, was there a narrator saying, and it wasn't completely fixed.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, For, no, pretty much. It's fine.
1: I guess we're not going to have to have that problem anymore. He had that well, problem you know, I, again. I,
0: I had the a month ago. I had the two engineers on my shoulder. Right, one of them was saying, yeah. "You know, you know, you, you you should update that, and it'll be and and that way, if there's a change at their end, it won't affect you. And at, and the other one was, you know, it's working fine, and it, yeah. it's going to keep yeah. working fine. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and who knows? I could have changed. I could have fixed it a month ago, and then it, it broke. And then you know, you know, it, 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 every we every good it. deed we all do it. Yeah, yeah. So. I, but it is an example of, hey, go ahead and do the best engineering practice, and you should be okay. Hey, real quick, uh, before we jump into these stories, our show is brought to you in part by Nautel. Thank you, Jeff Welton and Fiona and, and uh, John White and everybody at Nautel. Appreciate you very much. we got a quick little video clip here uh, that is about uh, not hairspray, but bear spray. I talked to a, a guy in up in, in Alaska, Dutch Harbor, who was a, a field engineer. Uh, for a bunch of sites, uh, I mean, you know, like a, a, um, a surveyor engineer kind of type guy, And um, he turned me on to something that I thought was just quite remarkable. He said he's tried carrying, you know, weapons, bear spray, and all that kind of stuff, and it turns out that it's heavy, it's uncomfortable, it's hard to get on a plane, and he found out that he can carry those, uh, you know, air horns, canister air horns. And he said, those are really quite good at deterring a bear i mean it's not it's not perfect but i mean it's it, it's enough of a kind of a it's like an audio flashbang and they don't like it wow what a great idea carrie we own those air horns like you have at high school uh basketball games Arr, it, well that'd be great you know that that might be a safe alternative to you know having a firearm by your bed is, is an air horn Woo. Scare, scare that intruder. Thanks, thanks Nautel, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. And go to Nautel.com, and then you can check out their all their old webinars. Of course, you can check out all their equipment, like the fabulous uh, GV2 uh, transmitter that has built-in HD capabilities. Nautel.com slash webinars is the, uh, the site you want to go to, where you can check out uh, lots of their information that they have to make us engineers look good. Just educate yourself a bit. Thanks, Nautel. All right, Chris Tarr is here, and I think Look who has look who has entered the room. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tom Morris. Hey Tom, good to see you, man. Hello.
2: Yeah. Yes. One one brutal ground loop later. I'm I'm here. <laughs> oh no. Did, was that, was, yeah, did you have an I, audio problem? Oh boy, did I ever. So I've I've got this this nice old Mixer that has served me well for so many years. I had an issue with Bluetooth pairing on my device, and oh yeah, I, I'm it was just the three box. I'm not actually that small. Good. Okay, so yeah, I I had I, I you know we were we're gonna discuss some interesting stories today, and my hilarious one was just getting here today. I was trying to pair a Bluetooth audio device and upstairs the laundry machines in my apartment complex they have some sort of weird card system and it kept stealing the bluetooth pairing for my audio devices <laughs> and then i'm like okay well I'll just plug in this old usb mixer turns out i never knew this about it before but when you turn on phantom power on it it creates such an angry ground loop that it crashes the computer and oh, wow that was interesting oh, so yeah it, that's yeah. uh it that got that resolved, and uh, now I'm here to discuss other hilarity.
0: Um, Chris, this happened many, many years ago, but Tom has been on the show before, uh, maybe before uh, you were kind of a, a regular on the uh, co-host on the show, Chris. And in fact, I remember I was doing um, this week in Radio Tech from from um, Florida, from um, Orlando. In fact, we were at uh, at the Christian radio station there, uh, WPOZ, uh, and and um, uh, we were getting ready for an SBE meeting. And so it was an evening SBE meeting, and Tom was our guest. And the topic with Tom was something that Tom is very good at, and that is materials science. You know, the science of, of different physical materials, whatever people choose to use to, to build products, towers uh, shelters, uh, pieces of of equipment, whatever it may be. And, and Tom had a lot of good information during that show. We have, I think, uh, an equal, if not more interesting topic today based, uh, or it was the Genesis of it was because of a post that Tom made on Facebook about a certain HVAC, uh, maintenance event and the, uh, company that did it Uh, Which we're, I guess, we're not going to mention, and uh, what they had, what what they screwed up while they were there. They fixed, I'm sure they did one. They checked the boxes, you know, and then they screwed up something else. And uh, Tom got to notice it. So uh, we'll we'll be talking about that. Hey Tom, uh, Chris has uh, an interesting story too. We'll be getting to in in just a few minutes. Um, hey Tom, by way of introduction, would you uh, tell us where you are and kind of what what you do? You're in the TV business, aren't you?
2: Yes, I'm in the uh, TV business in Sacramento, California. And it's hard to say what I do. On like I was talking to Kirk about this earlier. And on paper, I'm a maintenance and uh, maintenance technician. And that I think is about as general as it needs to be because I wind up doing a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, I'm I've I'm everywhere from RF to studio work to also maintaining some of the some of the building stuff because well. You know, we we have unique needs and so, uh, in, in this industry, and some very strange things happen occasionally. And I'm usually the one who who happens to uh, be there to resolve it. And uh, yes, the story that Kirk was referring to has to do with a topic that is very. Very vital to us of air conditioning, especially hmm. in television, where you have many kilowatts of of lighting and computer equipment that are uh, sitting there kicking out heat all the time. So the air conditioning is extremely vital. You are dead in the water without it. And I fight my battles with it a lot.
0: Yeah, and I plenty am of held by a cat. <laughs> and 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 plenty of t v stations uh have had this battle for years, although what well, you, you kind of update me on on your place because I recall that when I started in television doing some t v weather and I just did that part time don 't do it part time anymore um but, yeah, lighting was a, was a huge burden on the, on, on the air conditioning needs of, of, of the TV station. But now so many stations have gone to uh, the fluorescent tube uh, lighting uh, uh, panels or, of course, LEDs. And, and those draw, you know, a much, much lower amount of power. So I, I got to imagine that the um, air conditioning needs have changed. What's your TV station doing there in Sacramento?
2: So we're on a hybrid of different technologies, and uh, boy, I wish I could fix the focus on this little webcam. It's driving me nuts. But anyway, <laughs> continuing beyond that, yeah, we're we're in a hybrid situation where we have um, uh, we we're a CBS affiliate. Uh, my workplace and CBS originally had one lighting guy who did all of the owned and operated stations and he still was sticking with uh, with a lot of halogen lights. So we still have the big old two kilowatt uh, monster Fresnels lighting the set. And on the other side, we do have a mix of, of led um, some halogen and a And a lot of those tube lights, which the tube lights are actually kind of at risk of aging out because a lot of like the ballasts have become unavailable. And I mean, understandably so, because the entire industry is moving away from them to LED products. But the great thing with the LED products, of course, that I absolutely love is most of them are variable color temp and you can just dial it in so we can remain Mm. 3,300 Kelvin forever if we need to. Uh, I mean, even the ring light I'm using here has three different color options and apparently a random flicker, which I hope nobody else notices, but it's driving me up the wall. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the air conditioning is really interesting in that, like, you can kind of tell when the moment you turn off the lights, the air conditioning has to react. It's like if it doesn't shut off in time, everyone starts uh, running to the
0: closet for the winter parkas and snowshoes. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, yeah, I can remember times when the when the AC died at uh, at at uh, Fox Seventeen here in Nashville, and uh, and it it, it it was it was challenging. So um, uh, Chris is standing by to tell his story. But what got me interested in having you back on, Tom, was the story about HVAC. Can you uh, d- detail what happened and you know just what the great reminder is for engineers, whether they're in radio or TV? What's the great reminder that we need to be aware of? since we're responsible for our our own plans.
2: All right. Well, the great reminder, if I can summarize it immediately, is become familiar with the way your system normally operates and how things are configured, what's supposed to be running, what's not supposed to be running on a regular basis, and just watch it casually. I mean, you know, some of the systems like ours, we have our system is controlled by uh, Johnson Controls Metasys, which is... I don't know if it's based on or if it's their own spin-off of a BACnet-based system like Carrier Train and other manufacturers use, but it actually would have the ability to pepper us with alarm messages 24-7 if we enabled that, which we don't because it generates a lot of nuisance alarms that are very difficult to configure out. But, you know, there, there are certain things like too many cooks have worked on this system so yeah. we just have to watch it a lot um, and the issue i ra- i run into a lot is when somebody is there to do preventative maintenance on it i think with our contractor which we're actually switching contractors now thankfully and i hope the new one is familiar with this but you know a lot of these contractors they'll work on systems where it's it works a lot more like your like your typical home air conditioner there's a split system or maybe an RTU which is a one in one piece rooftop unit and it's just controlled by a simple thermostat one zone maybe you know maybe it's multi-stage cooling but that doesn't really add any complexity to it what we have is a system where there are a few large air handlers for the whole building and variable air volume controls that will automatically try to maintain room temperatures by providing a certain mix of hot and cold air to the conditioned space. And that adds just in orders of magnitude of complexity. But Mm. one of the interesting things, like what I had posted on Facebook, which was probably I can't even remember if the video captured how dramatic this was, but the air handlers in our system, they have variable speed motors for the blowers. And since the variable air air volume dampers in the building are all moving in unpredictable ways, there's an air pressure sensor up there in the RTU, or it's not really an RTU, it's just a big fan coil monster. And it will try to automatically scale that blower speed up and down to maintain one-inch water column supply pressure in the ducts. Well, the crew that came out to do the PM, I guess you know, like I'm sure most of us are totally familiar with variable frequency drives, right? I mean, yeah, they're everywhere. Well, if you have an old, if if you have like a Rodian Schwartz or Harris or Gates Air liquid cooled transmitter, you're probably a little more familiar with them because they're used to run the the pumps and the fan drives. But usually those are pretty much just like I, I know on my Gates Air ones, they're behind a cover on the pump station, and you don't ordinarily ever have to touch them. I just look at them periodically to make sure they're behaving correctly. But in this case, the guys doing the PM, they turned off the blower, changed the filters, and instead of putting it back in auto so it would track that air pressure, they put it in manual on that ramped it up to full speed. And next thing I know, like I'm coming in the mo- early in the morning when there's like no heat load in the building all the lights are off and stuff i'm like thinking hmm, union pacific is running a big train of auto racks across the station roof aren't they the <laughs> whole building was shaking so i go up there and find the thing sitting sitting there and like the air pressure r- sensor read four inches water column it had actually like i i just discovered yesterday it actually tore a Uh, like a canvas coupling in the air duct at some point, which I'm guessing may have been related to overpressure, but boy, it got mad. And I think, you know, I kind of almost don't blame the crew for not knowing how to do this. And they probably would have never caught it if I'd called them back and asked them why it was so freaking loud. But yeah, it was, They they. this was just like you had to know how this system is supposed to behave to catch it. And it's, I, I don't know how many other stations may have something quite this complex. I mean, my old station back in Miami had just had a bunch of different uh, different air handlers and none of that ductwork work fun, but you, know, you, you kind of had to know and you had to be ready for, especially there, you had to be ready for, uh-oh, the server room is uh, trying to become a crockpot again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, this sounds like the kind of thing that can happen when um, a company uh, purchases or puts together something that's fairly complex. And maybe, you know, a a company was hired, an HVAC company was was hired to design this system. And the system ended up being more complex than anybody who followed up later on would really realize and and be aware of. And so, you know, who really understands the whole thing? I mean, uh, uh, Tom, last question before we, we, we think about taking a break here. Is there anybody else at the TV station that understands this system like you do.
2: I'm working on that. I'm trying to train the other engineers <laughs> on how to uh, keep up with it. And unsurprisingly, every time I, I try to show somebody the great Field of mystery values, some of which are helpfully labeled, some of which are not. In the control software, their eyes turn to little spirals and they melt into a uh, <laughs> in, into a puddle <laughs> of static on the floor, and then I have to go sweep them up and reconstitute them in the freezer. It gets so oh. messy.
0: Tom's <laughs> <Dumb> descriptions, <laughs> Chris. You know, and thankfully, radio is usually uh, a little bit less complex than than television. Is But I I guess we do probably have some examples of systems that are complex at broadcast facilities, radio facilities. I I know you've got a whole server facility, Chris, with a lot of SNMP and things going on. And if you got hit by a bus, who would be figuring that out?
1: Well, you know, it's it's only slightly less complicated than brain surgery. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, that's, you know, that's where... Uh, you know, it's it's the whole try not to do security by obscurity, uh, job Uh, security by obscurity. Everything is documented very well, and I have an assistant who, you know, I knows everything I do about how we have this all set up, and you know, the very last, uh, you know, the the very top line, uh, all of our. Uh, all the principals of the of the company have a copy of all the passwords and addresses for everything. So because we've talked about that, what if you know, I, I, you know, the past couple of years, I built most of the infrastructure of these stations. So you know, what happens if I get hit by a bus or something, you know, they need to be able to continue on. So you know, we've really made a good job of documenting everything, and making sure that everybody knows where to find what they need to find.
0: Our guest on the show is Tom Morris glad he got uh, the uh, ground loop problem solved and can can join us Tom is uh I suggested maybe you're an electron plumber he said yeah that's a, that's a pretty good description i kind of like that uh he's uh, at the tv station in sacramento cbs station out there uh and tom's going to be back with us here in a few minutes with uh, some more stories and things that we can learn from uh from those stories and i th- and i think it's very applicable to uh, to to radio as well and even how we you know we on this show So often the advice uh, is document, document, document. And yeah, I think we all could do a, a better job of that. I'm Kirk Harnack along with Chris Tarr and our guest Tom Morris. Our show is brought to you in part by Broadcast Bionics. And let me tell you, or let the video here tell you about the Bionic Studio. Check it out.
3: Welcome to the Bionic Studio. The Bionic Studio brings all audience interaction to the fingertips of a production team in radio, TV, and podcast. Our workflow-led system is working 24-7 around the world for small broadcasters and national and international networks. Our telephony module, Bionic Talk Show, allows cost-effective centralization, remote operation, scalability and resilience across an entire network of stations, but at the same time is used in single-studio self-op environments social media curation and activity is now considered a broadcast critical part of programming bionic social means the studio isn't overwhelmed with a wall of interaction from an ever-growing number of social platforms we combine sms mms and email together with a speech to text service for listeners using smart speakers we enable studio teams to curate filter and display all platforms in one place and post text images and video content to multiple platforms in one operation effortless collection of video content with Bionic Director has helped position some of the world's most successful stations as leaders in viral content, generating appointments to listen and free marketing via retweets and shares. Bionic Contest enables end-to-end tracking of on-air competitions, live reads and prizes. These could be on-air contests, automated SMS entry or online anywhere, and Skype tx for radio brings high quality audio and video contribution into the studio with ease. No need for dedicated PCs to run different applications, everything is controlled within the Bionic Studio UI. And incoming connections are visible to users along with all other platforms. Our codec integration enables connection, algorithm configuration and directory to a wide range of IP and ISDN codecs. Bionic Studio, a unique suite of products designed
0: to enable your talent to work smarter. One of the things I really love about Broadcast Bionics, all the products you just saw, all the uh, systems and workflows you just saw, those are on the air right now at, at uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of radio stations around the world. And they, they try them out at really um, high profile. Uh, broadcasters in england and then they spread that out to uh, other countries as, as well uh, broadcast bionics makes some amazing stuff you ought to check out their website at uh, bionics.co.uk or bionic.radio and uh, thanks a lot for man being real on the cutting edge of uh, of workflow uh, and engineering They've been partners with uh, my employer, TELUS Alliance, for quite some years. In fact, it was Steve Church and Dan McQuillan that uh, struck up a friendship and realized that, hey, we can do some really cool things together. And they do. Thanks a lot, Broadcast Bionics, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. I'm Kirk Harnack. Chris Tarr is here. my our co-host. And Tom Morris is our guest. Um, hey, uh, so, so, Tom, you, you told that story about the HVAC contractor and <laughs> the, the freight train overhead because they left something in the wrong position. Um, and I'm sorry if, if, if I missed it. What, what, as engineers, what should we take away from that experience? Uh, is it, is it to, what, trust but verify? Is it, is it go back and look at what they did? Is it really understand? How would you, knowing what you know now, how would you have followed up on the tail end of, of their visit or warned them uh, prior to their work?
2: Well, I think yeah, I think trust but verify is definitely a uh, vital part of that cuz there are, you know, there there are certain things where we've come to un- you know, we've kind of come to understand that some things are are really trouble-free like, you know, there there are some some contractors we work with where they just pretty much come in, do their thing and go and it's it works you know, it all works out perfectly fine. I think there are just some things where you kind of have to compare against your own documented normal operations and make sure everything was left in a good state when they're done um, I'm just thinking also of a recent uh recent issue we had come up where you know, we're our our network is getting ready to to air the Super Bowl so we're doing a lot of extra shakedowns making sure everything's everything's happy and up to date and We discovered that one of the ATSC encoders at some point, um, one of the technicians who had remoted in to help us out with working on it, had to change a password because Windows decided to expire it. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have words to say about Windows that I don't want to say on a public screen, but never mind that. Uh, it decided, oh, you need new credentials for this now. And we're still trying to figure out where these were documented. So it's like, oh, it had better not break before Super Bowl. I mean, thankfully, it's you know, it's the backup and we have a backup to the backup. But it's it's still one of those things where it's like, wait a minute. I, I really I really wonder about that one where how we're gonna exactly resolve that in the future or if that one that one will just wind up having to have its software fully reloaded or something in the future. But you know I'm I'm trying not to worry about that for now. We're we're good for the moment. But yeah, yeah I. I definitely, you know, thinking of something that Chris was mentioning. We do have a, we do have a couple of, of uh, systems for storing login credentials and other in, important information, and that's extremely vital. And you need, you know, of course, you need to make sure that that not everyone and everyone in their uh, and their neighbor Joe has access to it. But those people who do need to get into it can, in a in a situation, you know, it it's. Even even one where you may not have internet access because you know you're you're up at a transmitter site uh, where about the only RF coming in is your STL and the only RF going out is your uh, FM or TV signal. I've certainly been to a lot of those where you have to kind of stand on your head in just the right place to get a to get a text message out. And yeah, you definitely would want to have a good portable. Means of accessing any credentials you need at that point. Um, I think with you know, documentation is is kind of you know, we're sort of in a state of flux right now where we're we're working to try to modernize a a couple of a couple of things like we actually have. A in-house piece of software that was written to maintain our wiring database. So every every wire hopefully has a number, and hopefully I didn't mess them up when entering them. Uh, not guilty. No, I am guilty of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to any of my coworkers who have to deal with it. No, I think we've I think we've sorted all that out for the most part. But anyway, you know, it was something that was written in house by an engineer who is now retired, and we're trying to modernize it to make sure that it can continue to be used in the future cuz it has you know it's it's sort of tied to a certain version of php and a certain certain connections to a microsoft sql server and those tend not to age well so we're you know we're just making sure we can go with a platform that remains serviceable in the near future and the far future
0: that is interesting uh, how uh as engineers, our problems uh and our concerns change over the decades. You know the problems you're describing now were not problems forty years ago uh, or maybe even thirty years ago or maybe even twenty years ago, and they definitely weren't problems seventy years ago back back when Chris Tarr was starting his engineering career <laughs> you're right. Chris, uh, uh, I, I give, we'll give Tom a, a, a few seconds of, of break here, and and uh, uh, you had a story, Chris, that you wanted to relate to us that we could learn something from. What would that be? Well, I don't know if you can learn anything from it, but it's just fascinating.
1: So uh-huh. uh, I got this call um, from somebody near our station in Wisconsin Dells, and they said, oh, I, I can't. I can't get the station in, and I call the remote control. All the readings look great, and you know so the first thing. Thing is, okay, you know is your radio broken? Da, 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 da So I do a little digging, and sure enough, you know there's really no signal coming out of this the station. So yeah. I go up there. I go to the transmitter. Everything looks great. There's no faults. All the le- all the meter readings are good, but there's no signal. And I am just, how does this happen? We're, you know, the, the transmitter is not overheating, so it's not, you know, it's not circulating in the transmitter. So where's the RF going? You know, I mean, it was just, I, I was stunned. So I I, uh, I got my uh, got site master out, swept the line, and it showed a fault at, like, I don't know, it was 80 feet. And I look, and I look up the line, and there's actually two splices in the line. I went, okay, well, maybe, you know, we blew open a splice. So it happened that I had uh, enough coax that I had bought left over from something else that I could replace all the coax on the line. So I do that. We get it all done. Still nothing. Still not working. Well, it turns out I open up the, uh, I, I open up, or, uh, the um, isocoupler, and it looks pretty bad. So I bypass the isocoupler, and the FM comes up. Everybody can hear it. Life is good. It turns out that the isocoupler was radiating. So the the transmitter was loading into the isocoupler, but the RF wasn't getting past it. So Mm. the transmitter looked happy, but no one could hear the station because the antenna was just a little part of the isocoupler at, like, 10 feet off the ground. (laughs) I had never... (laughs) ever seen anything like this before and we were just we were off the air for almost a week trying to you know get a new transmission line up there and uh, you know and and we were all just sitting around going why is this transmitter running it should not be running you know if things are as bad as it's showing this it should not be running at all why is it where you know we're like where is this rf going to i mean it's just are we spilling, spilling it on the floor or something i mean <laughs> what's going on and, uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a failed isocoupler. I'd never seen that. Usually if they burn up or they have an issue, your transmitter just won't go on. But in this case, right. the the isocoupler was radiating and it was just, I was stunned. I had never seen that before. And, uh, you know, it was just, but that was one of those issues where I never would have thought the isocoupler. So I didn't even start there. Um, so, you know, we wasted a day or so just on that. I mean, uh, you know, we did find out that the isocoupler went bad because of the splice. One of the splices opened up and and uh, mm-hmm. had some, some crud in there, which which caused some issues. Um, and uh, so, it, you know, it was just one of those, you know, that, that part was right, but that was just, uh, that was the problem, but it wasn't all the symptoms. So, you know, once we got all that fixed, and then I find out that, it works without the isocoupler. Then we tear into that because it just never, I I never would have thought that. I thought maybe, you know, the, the, you know, the open on the splice was, you know, right at the right frequency or the right wavelength where the transitor was loading into it. Okay. And, you know, I just didn't, you know, it was still weird. It still shouldn't have done that, but you know, I'm like going, well, it could be this or this or this, never in a million years. And uh, so, so there you go. It just, sometimes it's, it's, the thing that you
0: least expect that's the problem. i, I got a follow-up question, but it, isn't it funny that a piece of equipment fails in such a way that I'm going to fail in such a way that I'm going to be invisible. The failure will be will not look like me. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh, it's, you know and, and trying to explain that to the owner, because uh, the
1: owner just wanted us to throw another transmitter in. It's got to be a bad transmitter, throw this backup in there. And I was like, well, I can, and I, I, I will detest it, but I can guarantee you that's not the problem because the transmitter is running just fine. I mean, there's no, there's no issue, uh, but it was just, yeah, it was one of those things where, because it was working fine, um, and in fact, in fact, m- my boss said, well, shouldn't you we turn it off? I said, actually, no, leave it on. Cause if we can smoke something, then at least I'll yeah, know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, that okay. So, so uh, the isolator failed in such a way that the, that it didn't present a terrible load to the transmitter. So things looked okay, but the power wasn't getting past the isolator. You mentioned that you bypassed the isolator. What did you do? undo the bolts and just hook the coax to each other, to itself, and then the isocoupler's there for a reason. Was it on a hot AM tower? What happened with that?
1: Yes. It's a hot AM tower. Uh we're off for a little bit here while we're getting the isocoupler fixed. But we to put the input to the I- isocoupler and the output from it and just put them together. And uh yeah. came right but came right up. We didn't have any problems. Uh in fact it it came up better than it has in a long
0: time because <laughs> we put in that brand new transmission line. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh Chris Tarr is oh well, well Chris, d- what do you do you have any takeaways uh that that we that we could learn it as an engineer. You, at, at first, you said no. It's not really a takeaway. Here's just what happened. But well, uh, as engineers, what what should we keep our minds open to? To and I, can, why didn't the copper get hot? That's that's a little well, strange to me.
1: Here's here's a couple of things to take away. Number one, if you have uh, older uh, transmission line, like um, you know some older Andrew, uh, the just I'm passing this out. The inch and five eighth flange connectors are unobtainium you can get them there's one company now in um overseas that makes them i want to say germany and you're looking at weeks in order to get one i happened to get the last one that was stateside (laughs) for this Mm. project so that's that's number one you should know you know if you can get your hands on them keep them um i think the second one the isocoupler may have gotten hot by the time i even got to that the, you know, both stations have been off for a while. So, ah. uh, you know, we, we didn't I didn't because, again, I didn't think to check it. But I think that's the takeaway is, you know, don't get hung up on one thing being the problem and, and kind of, you know, hitching your, your horse to it because I was, I swore that it was the, the splice. Um, I mean, that was the only thing that made sense to me was, okay, it's got to be this splice. Well, obviously that was part of it, but there was more to it and we didn't find out until after we fixed that problem. So, you know, my takeaway is even if, you know, you think you've found the problem, don't start, you know, don't, quit digging until you've actually, you know, gone through the entire troubleshooting process working backwards. I mean, you know, again, had I just opened the cover to that isocoupler, I would have seen right away that there was a problem there. And I just, it it just was like, oh, it can't be the isocoupler. I mean, that's just, you know, we got that splice up there. That's got to be it. Uh so I think that's the takeaway is we sometimes we get overconfident about what we see and you know we tend to go okay you know that's got to be it that looks like the most obvious solution and we stop and go okay you know we're moving on and then of course you get it done and now all of a sudden you're back to square one and it's like okay now what um you know so so that I guess that's that's the big thing it's just you know as you're working through these things make sure you even you know you do consider the things that Aren't at
0: all obvious, and just take a look. You know, the, the, my takeaway, because uh, usually when there's a problem, and and Tom, maybe Tom can chime in on this in a minute. Usually when there's a problem, it's one problem, and if you if you find accurately the one problem and fix it, then the then the whole thing will be fixed and it will work. And yes, we get stym- We we get uh, you know sometimes sometimes it is two problems, um, and and a lot of times in hindsight the symptom with the one problem will be weird enough to where, you know, f- well, fi- how will fixing that one problem that I think it is resolve these other problems? Just like you said, why is there no re- real reflected power at the transmitter with perhaps a shorted or open in the transmission line? And You know, that didn't make a lot of sense. Well, it, it turned out later on it did make sense when you found out the isocoupler. And so you know, we, we do run across problems like that, that where... Go ahead. And
1: working backwards, I mean, the, the first problem that I saw was what caused the second problem. So yeah. I was on the right track. But, but again, you know, you, you start to think, well, you know, if the open is in the right place on the line, you theoretically could load the transmitter into it without having much of a problem. You know, I'd see a little more reflected power. But, you know, we're not talking about a, you know, a 50-kilowatt transmitter here. It's, you know, three kilowatts or whatever. Um, you know, in theory, that, would, that could happen. Or you know maybe there's enough of power getting up the line that you know we've got some of it getting to the antenna or whatever, um. So you know that that was where, you know that comes in is because you you just absolutely don't think that this could be this other thing could be the problem, um. You know the more you think about it, you go well you know I mean yeah that would be because an, I remember having the conversation I had about it. I was like yeah that would be unusual for it to be able to load it, load into that, but you know i i guess it could happen so you know you, you don't really you know again if if i saw if the transmitter tripped off and you know i saw sparks flying from somewhere i would go oh yeah there's a short in the line um mm-hmm. and and again the 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 tdr showed me that that was where the fault was was uh, where the splice yeah. was so yeah. everything yeah,
0: told me that yeah, it was the splice so you're, you're, you're hoping that fixing the obvious problem will also fix the slight mystery that was, uh, that you thought was attending the obvious problem.
1: Right. Well, uh, that we, mystery you know, and being the transfer was
0: loading. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and, right. That's why, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, obvi- obviously there's something wrong with this splice. So I did think that, you know, at least that's step one, we know that and we can fix that. So, you know, we'll cross the bridge if we get to something else. Um, you know, again, never in a million years did I think ISO uh, isocoupler. Um, you know, they do go bad, but I've never seen them fail that way. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly to the point where exactly. a transmitter is happy. You know, usually it's just you know, they trip <laughs> off and you're you're done. And then I it's pretty obvious where you'll find the smoke. Uh I just, you know, again, it you know, we all work with experience, you know. I mean, I suppose if I had never done this before, I probably would have questioned the isocoupler because I wouldn't have thought about that I'm like in all my years dealing with this stuff, I've never had anything fail like that. So it's,
0: I guess it can't okay. be that, you know. So here's so, yeah. here's Kirk, here, here's Kirk playing the part of the ice coupler in this case, uh in the kitchen when the wife says, "Where did the last of the ice cream go?" And I go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, no, no smoker." I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I just keep laughing. I so, just thinking,
2: I just keep laughing, thinking about how I I had a um, I had a couple last summer. I don't know. It all runs together, but I had a I had a record high temperature here uh, where that co- that c- contributed to a burnout in seven and five sixteenth inch line and. I, it took me an entire day of fighting with the transmitter to, to be able to to get it, uh, to get to the point where I could actually figure out that uh, it's a transmitter problem and a line problem. It's a floor wax oh. and a dessert topping. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right,
1: yeah. yeah. Okay, Dan. It's Dan Hagrid. Um But, you know, country and Western. Um, you know, but it's, it is. It's it's one of those things where, and one part of the fun of this job is, you know, f- things find new and exciting ways to break. So, you know, we got to keep on top of it. <laughs>
0: That's right, hey, uh when we come back from our next commercial, um Tom, I hope you have another uh story for us that we might be able to learn from if 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 you need a minute, that's fine., uh, but if you can preview something we're we're gonna hear in a couple minutes uh this the stage is yours to kind of uh, tease us a little bit all right, all right. Well, so we'll, we'll come back to you right after the commercial break. Obviously, uh, we, we talked minimally about this show, but uh, Tom, with his years of experience in both radio and television, I, I know we're going to hear something else good. Plus, I've got this weird thing that happened this morning. Our show is brought to you in part by Broadcaster's General Store and one of the most famous manufacturers of all time, we we all know him and love them, and that's Henry Engineering. Uh, Hank Landsberg is the proprietor, the owner of Henry Engineering. He's been on our show before, and one of the most brilliant things he's come up with, and you know, you you can buy similar products elsewhere. They typically cost a ton more. Uh, but this is just right-sized for so many applications in radio engineering like we do. And that is the Back UPS from Henry Engineering. You can get it, of course, at Broadcaster's General Store. And the Back UPS is, I found, the for me, the best use for it. That I have an equipment rack at my new station in Oxford, Mississippi, where I've got a number of computers and other devices that do not have redundant power supplies in them. They have one single power supply, and I want to keep them powered all the time, even if my UPS fails. And we found out a a failure mode for the UPS after some lengthy power outages, like it doesn't come back on by itself. And you can't make it come back on by itself. Somebody has to go out there and push the button. What a bad design. We're replacing that sucker right away. But the back UPS <clears throat> lets it, lets it switch. Uh, it, it switches automatically for you. Normally, it would be like on the UPS. And so it has two power inputs and one power output. Well, the power output actually a, a duplex uh, outlet like you see there on the screen if you're looking. And you've got two different power inputs. One presumably from a UPS. The other could be from another UPS, or it could be just from, you know directly from the line voltage. And that's how I have mine hooked up. One's from the UPS, one's from the line voltage. And so if the UPS dies, or if you purposely take the UPS down to change the batteries or check the settings on it or something like that, it will automatically bam, instantly switch over to the line input and keep your equipment running. So I do have this rack with several computers that are essential to our operation, and they didn't come with dual power supplies. Uh, we, we could have spent more money, but we didn't. So the back UPS is my uh, safety net. Uh, when the UPS fails, it just runs right over to the line input. And then when the UPS comes back after a battery change or after it's you know partially charged up or whatever it needs, um, the back UPS can be set with a time delay to switch back over to the good input, the primary input, which in our case is the UPS input. So you can have uninterrupted power on your load uh, going to your, your devices. Now, frankly, if I had a bunch of computers in that rack that had two power supplies in them, like I do in the uh, adjacent rack, I've got several servers in the adjacent rack, and they have dual power supplies, and one's hooked to the UPS in that rack and the other two you know, directly to commercial power, uh, then that kind of negates the need for the back UPS yes but in and i get, the way i got it arranged yeah Almost all the devices in one rack have one power supply, and the back UPS has saved our bacon several times. I'm really glad that Hank Landsberg came up with this. It does have a remote control on it, so you can force it to switch. You can see its status remotely, if you like. Um, and it's got a three-position switch there to put it into different uh, modes of operation. And you can adjust the delay time for returning to the main power. If you don't, if you don't trust it quite, you want to make sure it's going to be stable. Check it out from Broadcasters General Store. You can, uh, check, uh, check them out at, on the web at bgs.cc or call them at 352 622 7700. 352 622 7700. Love the folks at uh, Broadcasters General Store. I've known them and been dealing with them for years. And, uh, <laughs> in fact, I used to hang out with, um, Sam Phillips, the guy who discovered Elvis Presley and ran Phillips Recording Service in Sun Studios. And, uh, and Sam would be building a new radio station, and he'd have me at his office, and he'd say, Kurt, call them pretty little ladies over at BGS and uh, get a good price on, uh, you know, give me a new processor. So, so we'd do that. <laughs> what a great bunch. Thanks a lot, Broadcaster General Store and Henry Engineering, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech i'm kirk harnack along with chris tar and tom morris is our guest and we left we left tom thinking i don't know what he was thinking but we left tom thinking tom have you got another uh, story for us to learn something from
2: well i was thinking going back to uh back to tracing uh tracing down weird problems and i feel like my luck half the time is it becomes a strange trail almost, like because. In the radio world, I, I kind of miss doing stuff with radio a lot more because it's fairly simple. You send audio from point A to point B, basically, and the anything that's that's related to metadata uh, generally does not flow along the whole system with uh, along with audio. Um, I've had some odd experiences that are that are a little more specific to television. Uh, where where you have to trace stuff down, but it gets really interesting uh, adding adding that complexity because I've I've had you know I was I was talking about how I I tracked down that uh, transmission line issue and that was probably like the longest day I've ever spent at the station because it was like after I had traced down the transmission line issue I remember. Um, I think this was actually the same day I'd had Steve Wildy come over, and he swept the line and confirmed that something did indeed look really borked up, fifteen hundred feet or so up the tower. And I can't even remember how tall this tower is. It was at one time the tallest man-made structure west of the Mississippi. I don't know if it still is, but it's a beast. You go up there, and and you're actually looking down at the old uh, the old site that was originally the the first broadcast tower for the Sacramento area. Uh, it's, it. I think that one's at like 1800 feet and it was built in the 1960s and 70s. And anyway, uh, I came back and I found one of the other engineers running around like an absolute headless chicken trying to figure out why the every, like just about everything in the plant that was passing through our master control system Every now and then, the picture would tear and glitch, and we were like, "What on earth is going on here?" Like it was definitely a timing issue, but Hmm. I've, I've actually, I've apparently gotten pretty good with fixing these. So in video, you often, and I would say pretty much always in a large facility, you have to have a master reference, which is basically a source that just sends the same. Uh, the same video to everything and everything uses it for timing as to when the, when each frame is going to begin. And in, in most cases, it's just black burst video. It's basically just a, just blank NTSC video with a, with uh, the sync tips and color burst. And I've, uh, nobody really thinks too much about it because a lot of that infrastructure, if you're in an older plant was put in, back when it was originally commissioned and everything is just kind of you know over time as things move and change they get attached and detached to it and stuff well then what happens when the old distribution amps decide to get a really bad case of old and i've been (laughs) running into a few cases of that so at 2 a.m i was running around there with an oscilloscope probing various reference sources until i found a bad da card and swap that out and surprise everything's happy and we all got to go to bed again but there there are a few of those moments um i i've also had issues where occasionally one of our network feeds that comes down off a satellite receiver that sometimes the satellite receiver will glitch due to poor signal or just the receiver decides to crash at some point It, it happens but when it crashes it sends something curiously invalid that if you send it to a monitor, it looks like fully saturated rainbow snow, and I call it rainbow death snow, because for some reason, the rainbow death snow gets into everything downstream and crashes everything. So you'll find like, oh, I've got a chain of five crash devices in series, and the last one in the chain is the encoder, so we're off the air. Oh, no. Oh, no. it's, it's not wow. too uncommon but yeah I, we we now take very careful steps whenever we're touching one of those irds to patch stuff out so that the rainbow death snow can't cascade <laughs> down and cause the rainbow that de- death avalanche <laughs> <laughs> man so <Yeah>. bizarre <laughs>
0: that's but, awesome. you know the Chris, the closest thing to that I can think of is re- remembering the olden days of AM transmitters or FM exciters that could be unlocked by too much base excursion, uh, you might have a song that would actually knock your transmitter off the air for a second. You
1: remember those days? I had one. I had one recently where the combination oh. of the processor and the exciter, whenever they ran an EAS test, it dropped the carrier.
0: Wow. Wow! So yeah, at least we don't have the, in radio with, with <laughs> rainbow death snow. That's a, that's. A, I, I kind of wish I got. I, yeah, I, I, nice. I used to
2: wonder why there was that twenty hertz subsonic filter option in the twenty uh, <laughs> yeah. thirty hertz subsonic filter option in the Orban processors. And then I, out of curiosity, one day I bench tested it with an old, uh, I think an old QEI exciter. And sure enough, if I turn that off, I was able to uh, to put in some really nasty sub bass audio and cause the exciter to blink in and out of lock so like oh okay wow thankfully i've never actually had it happen in practice but i just wanted to see it happen so
0: rainbow death snow sounds like a great idea for a new wikipedia entry that uh, tom morris will make so that everybody (laughs) will know I what want that. Death I want
1: rainbow death snow. That sounds great.
0: <laughs> we we should form a company and patent it. That's what we should do. What do
1: you think? The snow we get here is death snow, but it's not rainbow. At <laughs> not least rainbow. if it was rainbow, I'd be happy. Ooh, I've seen well,
2: pictures well. of a uh, of of where a car wash was inadvertently turned on in sub freezing conditions, and it kind of looked like that. <sighs> yeah, there you or go. Tried to tri color tri color wax kind of.
0: Came down into icicles. It was, oops. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned car wax because uh, a ca- car wash. Because we, I did propose a name for this episode, and it was TCFW. Uh, Tom, Tom, tell our audience My what favorite. is TCFW. I love it.
2: Good old tricolor foaming wax, and <laughs> every, uh, yes, and, and and I I tend to leave this this. Phrase in various places. Like if you grab one of our little fabrics testers and pull up the uh, test pattern, it'll it'll say tricolor foaming wax on the label, and like every everyone's oh, yeah. just kind of gotten used to that for me. So
1: over the years, there's, Tom's there's words also, have become a meme. To,
2: to my strange credit, there is a Vice article about the uh, uh, out there about the, the where. Uh, PDQ Manufacturing put out their laser wash car washes with a glaring, horrible cybersecurity problem, like you could pass unauthenticated Modbus commands via URL parameter straight to the variable frequency drives and make the wash physically move immediately in response (laughs) with no sanity checking. And there's a video I took of a laser wash on the article. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I,
0: I I assure you, I'm not obsessed with Tom Morris, but every time I go through a car wash, and the TCFW <laughs> comes down on the on the car, I think Tom. Oh, Morris. I do too.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's become a meme. It's become yep. a meme over the years with that. <laughs> It really
2: has. I mean, I am a very <laughs> colorful personality. <after. laughs> you, you are
0: absolutely, absolutely. Oh gosh! Hey, uh, I, I, I promised I'd, I'd r- relay my little situation from the day, my little troubleshooting, and uh, we talked about it briefly, but not. We weren't specific about it. Got a call this morning at seven a.m. Morning man at WBZK. Uh, hey, Kirk, I can't. Get phone calls on the air that I can't dial anything, and a call comes in, it rings once and goes away. Something's wrong. So I thought, wow, this is um, this is the Telos VXS. That's it's a Telos Vx running as a Docker container um, on the same physical. Linux computer as the audio console, the uh, the Axia Altus is running, and uh, then that, that was working fine. I obviously, was on the air. He said the phone didn't work. Well, that's interesting. So my first thought was, well, I guess I could go restart the Docker container, but you know, it's not supposed to exhibit that's not that's restarting the Docker container. If that worked, it would have hidden. Well, what was the actual problem? And so I was kind of wasn't interested in restarting the container, and I wasn't sure that was going to fix it anyway. Turned out that wouldn't have fixed it, but. So I I I was thinking about what could have gone wrong. Well, uh we use um the services of uh a a uh, a SIP provider, uh hosted uh, PBX in the cloud called clearlyip.com. And they have been delightful to work with. I've recommended them to other people and we've been absolutely delighted with their their service. Um in the early days of putting the TELUS VXS in. Uh, we were having some kind of problem. And as part of our troubleshooting, rather than put in the um, the URL or the URI maybe for the server in the cloud into our Telos VXS, uh, hey, where's the SIP server? Well, here it is at this uh, long number dot clearly IP dot me. Um, we switched it to the IP address of that server in the cloud, thinking we, maybe we have a DNS problem. And so we did that. Uh, it it, uh, it that didn't fix that problem that we had back then, but I I just left it at that. I, well, you know the IP address is not going to change. Uh, you know it's it's our it's our phone provider in in the cloud. So uh, well, guess what happened last night? The IP address changed, and and uh, of course on all the business phones in there is the URI which looks up the IP address, right? And and if it changes, it gets updated. Uh, but my Telus VXS was still calling for the hard octet, you know, the four octet IP address, and that was no longer the IP address of our, of our uh, SIP uh, server. So, um, I, I thought about it and anyway, so I went into VXS remotely and I still had the, uh, SIP URI, I mean the, 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 the URI for the SIP server. And so I just put that in place and, uh, voila, the lines registered. And it worked. And I tested it out remotely and da that that fixed it. But a month ago, I was looking at the VXS. Nothing was wrong with it. I was just kind of looking, reviewing, uh, you know, how it was set up. And I thought, I should change that back over to the URI and not the fixed IP address. What if it changes? Then I'll be up a little creek. Well, this morning I was up a little creek. <laughs> so if, if you think go. it's a good idea, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Best practice would be the URI. Second best practice would uh would be the um The IP address, and that was just for troubleshooting. So there you go. That's my little story. Hey, we gotta take our last break of of the show. And when we come back, we're gonna get a tip of the week from Chris Tarr and from Tom Morris, but not from me, because I'm all tipped out. Our show is brought to you in part by Angry Audio, and Chris Tarr has a very deep personal relationship with some Angry Audio products. Chris, what would you like to tell us about?
1: I do, I love them. I, in fact, if I could marry them, I would. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> there was a lot of talk on the Facebooks this week about the USB audio gizmo. In fact, it was, I think, Corny put a post up about it, and it started a, actually a very interesting discussion about uh, different audio interfaces, for computers to consoles and one of the big issues is of course the uh the the bleed over of the the interference from the processor to the audio card so you hear a high-pitched whine or whatever in your audio even with some outboard cards there's not enough isolation and you still hear it and as uh corny and catfish were talking They both said they use this stuff at home, and they had the problem. So then it was time to fix it. So, of course, what does that mean with Angry Audio? Go to the gizmo. Uh, They designed this, this gizmo to be completely isolated. And and as uh, Catfish Mike Dosh said, it was not an easy process. This was not easy to design, but the results speak for themselves. And everybody was talking about how handy this is. Somebody said they just replaced one, uh, used one of these to replace an issue that they had at their studio, and they're buying more. They're going to put them in all their computers. So what you can do is plug this in, USB port, looks like a sound card. It's got the studio hub in and studio hub out connectors, but the audio is completely isolated. so you don't get the wine, you don't get the interference, you don't get the scratches and the you know crackling and things like that. you just get clear, clean, audio so it's the usb audio gizmo if you have a home studio they're perfect i know a lot of home studios have to have some sort of interface this is perfect for that or if you're a voice tracker or in the studio you want to put uh, your console on the air this is a great way to interface it the usb audio gizmo you can check it out at angryaudio.com you can buy them from your favorite broadcast equipment dealer so when these problems come up you know don't get frustrated don't lose hope. Just get angry. <laughs> angryaudio.com. Get angry.
0: You know that's funny. I I I have a a, a that same uh, USB uh, analog audio gizmo here uh, at my office and I was interfacing a computer, a MacBook uh, Pro, and I was using a cheaper off-brand USB interface to do it and I had a ground loop and it oh, was sure. it was not it was not pretty. And, and I thought and that's and, as I say, and that's what Catfish was saying: is not all not all
1: those adapters are created equal. So you could get a lesser one and have those same problems.
0: Well, I, I put the the Angry Audio USB Audio Gizmo in there, and bam, cleanest, beautifully clean, as clean as it's supposed to be. It was just beautiful. One thing uh, is worth pointing out: uh, one of the most common um, support calls that uh, Catfish gets uh, about anything with Studio Hub is you do need to use shielded cat five cable, uh, as your connection. And, and, uh, th- especially if you're going from a balanced device to an unbalanced device, if you have to do that kind of thing. And I, I had to recently and, um, uh, the, the shield, or I should say the, the, the drain wire, which is connected to the shield is part of the, uh, part of, of the circuit. And so you may get, you may get away for it. Uh, you may get away with it for years not using a shielded cable with a drain wire for Studio Hub, but it, it'll bite you at some point and, uh, and it'll work better with it. So all the cables that are sold by Gangry Audio, of course, are shielded cables and they have the drain wire connected at both ends. And so there you go. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Angry Audio, for sponsoring this week in Radio Tech. Our show is also brought to you by Max Connect Audio and a box that's actually uh, designed and built by Angry Audio, but is exclusively marketed by Max Connect Audio. And that's the U.192 box. And you know what? I need to get one of these for one of my own radio stations. We're going to reconfigure. Uh, when we move our, our AM transmitter into a new building and also move the uh, the FM uh, translator that's on the same AM tower, uh, we're going to move the STL around and bring the, uh, well, we're going to free up an audio processor is what we're going to do. Long story short, I need this box. This is the Max Connect Broadcast U192 MPX USB sound card. You plug its USB connection uh, into your computer that is running your FM audio processor. So, at this particular station for the uh, for the FM translator, I'm running the uh, Omnia SST software. Uh, of course, this also works with software like um, Stereo Tool. And so, if you want to run an FM processor on a computer, uh, you need you you might need some way to get um, MPX audio out of that. Now, in my case, I'm already using that that uh, software, to send micro MPX to another translator site. But I'm going to need it to be local as well, local to the computer that's running Omnia SST. So I will be plugging this U192 box into that same computer, getting a second output for uh, the uh, the MPX, and we'll just run that right into the uh, STL that's going to go out to the AM and um, and an FM translator site. This is so cool. Uh, it, it's it's made for doing this job. You know, the industry came along with um, software based FM processors. And um, they, you, you really had to finagle some sound card that may or may not work well for that purpose. Uh, this is designed to do exactly the right thing. Uh, For stereo tool, for Omnia, uh, uh, Omnia SST, uh, for probably some breakaway uh, FM processors, this will give you that analog or digital AES uh, 192 kilohertz output that you're looking for. uh, That is uh, MPX over AES. It'll do all that. Check it out at maxconnect, M-A-X-X-K-O-N-N-A-C-T dot com. It's the U192. Hey, uh, we just got another minute or two. And real quick, let's see if we can get a tip of the week. Quickly, quickly, uh, Chris, why don't you go first, and then we'll let Tom wrap it up for us. Sure. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had to put in a new
1: antenna at our site in Rockford, Illinois. And sure enough, the antenna came with a different connector than what I had running up to the uh, tower. So and do not fear. I carry all kinds of connectors in my Jeep. So that's my tip of the day. Order one of each kind of connector for you know, all of your sites, end of inch and five eighths, end to three, and you know, whatever. In this in this case, we had an end connector at the end of the cable and a seven eighth inch EIA and the input to the antenna. Were we doomed? No. Just ran and grabbed one, uh, put it on there. But always remember, once you do that, order a replacement. But carry all those in your car because you don't want to be, in the case of Rockford, two hours away and just have to call and or you have to tell the uh uh, tell the tower climbers to go home and come back later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good thing you had that with you and great to carry those kind of things. You know, uh, I gotta say my business partner, Larry Fuss is good about keeping extra connectors uh, in stock. Uh, we tend to keep them at one location and no other location is more than a one hour drive. So it's, it's kind of okay. So, Hey, Tom Morris, who has been with us the whole show, Tom, do you have a tip of the week that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Well, uh, kind of on that same that same note, something I wanted to share. Like I, I kind of wish I'd grabbed a picture of it, but we have uh, we've we've really been having a good time now with uh, with taking those those like pack out boxes that they have uh, where it, it's a series of uh, they're available for a couple of different brands with these stackable bin holder boxes and. Uh, we've lately been just been moving our inventory of connectors and into those since we make a lot of a lot of video cable connectors and stuff. And then you can grab just grab that and the tools and not have to keep running back for stuff. It has... <laughs> It's really saved us a lot of time, and I would highly recommend that if you're doing like a lot of audio connectors or RF or anything like that, just keep the tools right there, and then hopefully you won't have to go scrambling back for missing missing bits and
0: pieces. Got you. Good advice. Good, and you know, I make a, a similar, much smaller mistake myself. I'll start fixing something, and I'll I'll grab a screwdriver out of my toolbox, and I'll go run over to where the, the stuff is, that I'm working on. And after my fifteenth run back to the toolbox for other stuff, I, I need I need my Phillips, that has got a stronger bit on it. You got to get your steps in somehow. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. Hey, we got to go, uh, Tom. Thank you for making the extra effort to be with us and, and and get the washing machine and Bluetooth problem solved. And your mic sounds great. So thanks a lot for for taking the extra effort to join us. Hi, thanks for inviting me. All right. Well, well, are you going to be at NAB? Any chance you'll be there? or They don't send you. Sorry, what's that? Are you going to be at the NAB show in uh, in April?
2: Hard to say. I I don't know Hard. if we're sending people out to that, but. We'll
0: find out, I guess. All right. Well, if I see you there, great. Uh, you take care. Tom Morris has been our guest. He's been uh, here before. And uh, I, I like Tom. You ought to follow Tom on on Facebook. You will get some interesting uh, engineering uh, quandaries and, and perhaps a fix for them. Thanks a lot to Chris Tarr as well. And thanks to you. We're going to see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Oh, and thanks to Suncast, too. I appreciate you doing a great job of uh, engineering today's show as well. Something that we're going to be adding to This Week in Radio Tech, we're going to post some of the best of segments, Uh, the key segments from each hour-long show. We're going to post them uh, in the days following the show. So if you can't catch the whole hour show, you can catch a shorter segment of something really cool. So watch out for that wherever fine podcasts are on YouTube or on Facebook uh, are a couple of good places to catch us. We'll see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.